And welcome back to Cherish Ephesians 6.4. The title of this week's article is The Impossibility of Believing in Jesus Christ. As you may know, I recently decided to create an online commentary on the book of John for people who are not familiar with the Bible. This idea came to me as I was trying to figure out how I can share the gospel with someone a thousand miles away. And as I went through the book of John, my sense of amazement and gratitude was refreshed. And I want to share that with you so we may mutually benefit. I don't know if you had the same sense of how things might work with God before you became a Christian. I believe that there was a way for me to make God happy enough to allow me to be in heaven after he died. My basis for doing so was the belief that on average, I was a better person than most. The question I had yet to be answered was when I would have to begin the process of accumulating good points with God before I died. Of course, in my early years, I calculated my chances of dying before becoming 50 years old were slim, so I had time. Of course, now I know that at no point I was not already condemned. The sins of Adam and Eve had already plunged humanity into a state of condemnation and a bent to disobey God from the very first day I was born. The day of me becoming serious about my dealing with God never existed in the way I was thinking about it at any point. And my childhood, teen years, or adult, I would have been bound for hell if God hadn't decided that I should live. John quotes Jesus in chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Interestingly, I heard a version of the gospel growing up that should have been enough for me to realize the state I was in, and the need for a savior. However, I love my sin too much to pay attention to any of that stuff. John writes in 8.34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And in chapter 3, verses 19, 19 through 20, Jesus teaches, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Freedom from that slavery was available to me all the years that I lived. John writes in the first chapter of his letter, In him was life. Could I say that I missed the message? I don't think so. I have seen it again and again on billboards, rear car windshields, and signs held up by people at every sporting event that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In fact, those signs became so common that people stopped writing out the verse and simply put up John 3.16 on the sign. But I never gave it a second thought. In chapter 3 of John's letter, Jesus tells us about the impossibility of believing in him. He's approached by a religious leader who really wanted to know the answers to the most important questions about God. And Jesus said to him, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to make it clear that a man cannot do anything to achieve this necessary state of being born again. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, there has never been anything that I or any person could ever do through their own efforts to satisfy God. Becoming born again is something that only God can do. This was shocking to Nicodemus and frankly shocking to me when I first understood this. However, in light of the fact that all human beings are in a slavery and bondage to sin from which they have no power to escape from, it only makes sense that the power to break free must come from something or someone outside of us. Jesus goes a step further with Nicodemus when he tells him, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus later reiterates this point in chapter 6, verse 63, where he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I don't know if you have a list of people that you pray for to come to an understanding of the gospel message and a love for Christ. My wife and I have a handful of people on our prayer list that we're pleading with God to send his spirit like a wind blowing into the hearts of these loved ones. We pray for one married couple who are counting on their moralistic lifestyle, a person who has developed his own version of Christianity, a man who is looking forward to reincarnation, several people who are basing their future on God weighing the scales of their life on the good side, another married couple whose God is money, a person who interprets the Bible literally to a fault, a person who simply does not know anything about the gospel, and a person who says she follows Jesus, but she doesn't do anything in her life that Jesus has commanded his followers to do. All of these people believe that everything is going to work out for them. They are walking toward a cliff with blinders on. And as I thought about the words of Jesus, our prayer list, myself and my wife, I was struck again by Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where he reminds me that we were just like them. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. As I tried to process all of these truths, I could not avoid the question, why did the spirit, quote-unquote, blow in my direction, as it were, and give me a new heart. I was just as blinded to the truth as all of these other people. But the Spirit gave me a new life, a life and mind that could now understand the things that Jesus said were true. And I ran as fast as I could to him. 
The answer to the question why is locked up in the mind of God. We know that whatever he does, he does not act out of compulsion, but only out of his own good pleasure. I sure would like to understand that more, but he has chosen not to reveal those kinds of answers to his children. For today, I have been drawn back into the wonderment of God's incredible grace to me. I hope this article has prompted you to join my heart in thanksgiving to our Lord for his mercy. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you in the next one.